It's the News Roundup, where we discuss the region's top stories of the week. And joining us this week, Paul Pronovo, editor at the Cape Cod Times. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Mindy. Well, that horrible, uh, the horrible shootings at the Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, have law enforcement and school officials here looking closer at security measures. Yeah, I mean, you, you can. It's such an indescribable event uh, that it's it's hard to really put your arms around it. And of course, uh, while it happened in Newtown, Connecticut, it is echoing uh, throughout the country and probably throughout the world. And uh, how, how could you honestly not be personally affected uh, by what happened? And, and, and I can say for myself, uh, I've been in both of my girls' uh, schools uh, just this week. You know, my, I have one girl in Barnstable High School and one at Barnstable United. And uh, just the feeling in the schools, uh, though uh, the administrators and teachers do a fantastic job of, of trying to move forward and not uh, dwell in, in a negative way, uh, but it's hard not to feel it uh, when when you're walking in the school. Uh, I mean, I walked into Barnstable United uh, yesterday afternoon, and uh, one of the assistant principals was stationed in the parking lot. Uh, there was a police officer stationed out front, and you just, and, and you know, they didn't draw attention to themselves, but you could feel uh, that something was, was tightened up. And I think that's uh, generally been the response uh, with the police and, and with school administrators saying that, you know, we have um, security systems in place, uh, but uh, any incident like this uh, uh, compels us to, to look at what we're doing and to deal with it. And I think that's what you uh, saw this week uh, throughout the Cape and the Islands and, again, throughout throughout probably uh, the entire country. Uh, Mashpee held a community meeting uh, this week where uh, uh, Chief Rodney Collins talked about in, in his uh, 32 years of law enforcement, he never expected to be talking about this level of security at an elementary school. And, and that's, that's sort of really what echoes for us, of course, right? I mean, going back to, to Columbine and, and uh, you know, a serious incident at a high school, uh, that was a terrible tragedy. And Virginia Tech, terrible tragedy in a college. But when you're talking about kids in the ranges of 9, 10, 11 years old, uh, are most vulnerable and you want to protect them, this is the sort of thing that really uh, affects us, I think. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Chief Collins was trying to assure about a crowd of about 50 people in, in in uh, Mashpeet that they were taking all the right steps, so is the superintendent. And this, again, has happened in Barnstable and in, in Nauset District and, and throughout. Uh, you know, most, uh, well, I shouldn't say most, I'm sure all of the schools have uh, are locked down during the school day. There's a buzzer system probably in every school. Uh, you know, there is a protocol to get into the, to get into the school, but uh, law enforcement officials point out that, you know, right now they have an increased presence and you can't really put a dollar amount on, uh, on security. Mm-hmm. But what I saw this week where there was an officer literally standing in, in front of the school entrance, uh, you wonder if that's how long you can right. really sustain that and, and really how practical it is. Well, it's interesting, too, because a lot of times we aren't really aware until something happens what the security plan is. And uh, it was the Harwich police chief who said that um, his department has uh, taken part in this active shooter training program, which is prepares officers for situations like what happened in, in Newtown. So there's a lot of things that go on that we aren't really aware of. And I guess this was what he wanted the, the uh, people in Harwich to know. We're, we're, we've been preparing for this. The, the uh, uh, law enforcement is preparing for it in the schools they prepare for it. They drill for this. I mean, it, you know, we, we all know the old fire drill. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, in, in the schools, uh, throughout the school systems, K through 12, um, they go through a series of, of emergency preparedness drills, everything from, from storms and fires to uh, a situation as serious as uh, a, a shooter entering the mm-hmm. building. And, and, you know, frankly, that's probably what helped a lot of the folks in Newtown is that uh, once uh, something began to happen, uh, people, people, teachers and administrators 
and, and others in the school, they knew what to do. And they, you know, they went, went to safe spots. They had a protocol. Uh, you know, when someone's walking through the school with a gun, uh, there's only so much you can do. What you can do is get in a safe spot, lock the doors. And, and that's mm-hmm. one of the keys uh, that they, uh, they prepare for. So mm-hmm. you are ready when something happens. And that's, that's frankly all you can really do. And it's what, what they're doing today. And, and mm-hmm. I'm sure what they'll continue to do. And of course, this tragedy is also prompting conversation about gun control. Governor Patrick urging state lawmakers to pass his bill, which was initially filed several years ago. Right. Uh, and of course, here in the Bay State, it's it's sort of a reflection of the discussion that they're ha- having uh, nationally mm-hmm. about gun control. And uh, that that's, um, you know, obviously you can operate on two different tracks. Here, the governor believes, and, and he's been pushing for some gun control measures for some time, uh, he believes that they should be regulating more strictly uh, the guns. The, the bill he's proposing would do a couple different things, one of which would uh, limit the number of uh, weapons that you could purchase in, literally in a month's uh, period. It would also uh, get uh, Massachusetts involved in sort of the mental health database, which would be part of the um, requirements for applying for a gun license. Um, because a lot of talk, of course, is, is about gun control. It's also about mental health issues. Right. And when you put the two together, that's really the, the key point. And so that's one of the things that, that the governor is uh, hoping to do. He has said uh, to the state lawmakers that if they don't pass it in this, sec- this session, and, and this session is ending soon, um, that they can expect that in the next legislative session he'll be back to discuss it. And uh, uh, Senate President uh, Terry Murray and uh, Bob DeLeo, uh, the House Speaker, have said that they are obviously open to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it almost feels like in Massachusetts they're more open to it than perhaps on a national stage where there might be a little more debate, although, of course, we'll have to wait and see uh, how, how much this uh, this echoes. It's, and, and I should point out, too, the governor, it's interesting, he was asked uh, on, a, on a Boston radio station the other day, you know, well, what about... Uh, there's some state funds that go to Smith and Weston, Weston, which is based uh, gun manufacturer based in Springfield, and he said, "Look, these people aren't doing sinful things. They're in legitimate business. This is about regulating, not mm-hmm. stopping." And and that I think was an important point. Right. And of course, this morning the uh, NRA's got uh, their press conference. They haven't really said much, so we'll, we'll uh, be keeping our ear tuned to that. Yeah, they made a statement earlier this week that said they were, uh, they were uh, game for helping uh, prevent something like Newtown from ever happening again. Uh, it was a very it was a very general statement, so you really, not yeah. much to take away from that, lots of loopholes in it. On the other hand, it was a statement. Yeah. And, and, and it, you know, the, talking is the first step to working stuff out. So what happens from here, we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait yeah. and see. We've got some Yarmouth residents on the road this morning to Newtown uh, to offer support. Yeah, um, uh, Deputy Chief uh, Steve Azaros and others uh, have organized a trip uh, from Yarmouth down to Newtown. Uh, they're bringing uh, funds and supplies uh, that were uh, essentially part of the New- Newtown uh, Support uh, Relief Group. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting because when when you look at exactly what they're going to do, which is um, drive literally uh, this morning down to Newtown, hand over a check and, uh, and and some other small things, I guess I guess a gift basket had been collected for teachers, some baked goods and things like that, really almost an effort to reach out and, and comfort the folks. Um, you know, you wonder, it, it's it's not like this is a national disaster. When you see events like, say, uh, Sandy, just mm-hmm. a, a month or so ago, uh, you know, they need supplies and they right. need clothes and they need uh, building materials and things like that. That's not the case here. But what they do need is support. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, uh, and I think, it, it, just as importantly, I think people feel the need to reach out and mm-hmm. show that they support. And, and that's, you know, people are looking for a tangible way to funnel 
their emotions. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is an example in my mind of that effort to, to, mm-hmm. to reach out literally and, and put your arms around the folks there and help out. Because, you know, we sitting here on Cape Cod and throughout the country, um, we feel pretty helpless. Mm-hmm. We see what happens. It happened. And, and I know what the newspaper people have contacted us. How can we help? And, and they, you know, they write letters or they, you know, write poetry or they want to reach out in some way and organize. And uh, I f- think there's some uh, frustration is probably not, not the right word, but there's some feeling of helplessness mm-hmm. uh, among folks that they really can't do much. I wish I brought this quote in with me. We, we talked about uh, this on Wednesday with the, with the doctors, Dr. Uh, Whaley and Dr. Abrazesi, but uh, Mr. Rogers... There was a, a, a picture of him that kind of fo- went around Facebook, uh, and it had a quote where, and I'm paraphrasing here, where he talked about as a as a kid being, you know, upset by you know bad news, disasters, or whatever happened, and his mom would tell him, "Look for the helpers." Right. There's always the helpers. Right. There's to, That's to great. show, yeah, which is, I mean, r- really says a lot, you know, because there are always helpers. Yeah, and and I think you know it's interesting the f- the f- folks in Newtown. They're trying to get a little away from the spotlight, but right. from what we're we're reading, and, and that's all up here we can do, really, um, you get a sense that the support is appreciated. And you yeah. see that, frankly, in social networks. I mean, I think we all probably have connections right. down either to Newtown or at least to the surrounding communities, and folks appreciate uh, the fact that uh, they're embraced as mm-hmm. they are. And it's a reminder that while there is, uh, there's evil in the world, uh, the majority of us are good. Yeah. So News Roundup, we're talking about the top stories of the week with Paul Pronovo, editor at the Cape Cod Times. Massachusetts Gaming Commission voted this week to delay opening the southeastern uh, section of the state to commercial developers until after March 15th. Yeah, and this is uh, good news for the Mashpee Wampanoag, of course. Um, They have had an inside track to uh, a casino in southeastern Massachusetts since since the law went into effect, gaming law went into effect. Um, And that's been good news, of course. Uh, f- for them, they've they've hit some speed bumps along the way, and uh, and as they're, uh, I mean, for a long time they they seem to just be racing to to the finish line of of building a casino. Then they were slowed, and so now their their mom- their loss of momentum is allowing others to say, well, wait a minute, then we, you know they shouldn't have the inside track. Uh, we should open this up to commercial bidding, and there's a whole contingency that believes that the Mashpee Wampanoag shouldn't have had an inside track in the first place. So. This is their opportunity to capitalize on that. So uh, this was the issue the Gaming Commission had to consider. Uh, Do they allow uh, the Mashpee Wampanoags to essentially have first rights to a casino in southeastern Massachusetts or open it up to everyone? And they delayed that decision. And by delaying that decision, essentially they made a decision, Mm -hmm. which gave uh, the the Wampanoags more time to work out their deal. Uh, uh, The real sticking point at this point, there there are a couple, but the one right now is working out an agreement, uh, a compact essentially, with the Commonwealth of Massachusetts that uh, can pass muster with the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Uh, They had worked out a deal, gave it to uh, the BIA, and the BIA said the terms are not favorable enough to the tribe. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's unfairly weighted to the state, and therefore we reject it. So, uh uh-oh, back to the drawing board, and and they're trying to Of course, and there's always that getting land into trust issue. And that, of course, is the other big issue, trying to get the land into trust. Uh, At this point, though, it seems like this is the big hurdle, and they need to get it settled Mm -hmm. by March. Uh, And if not settled by March, at least to show some measurable progress that the Gaming Commission might allow them to continue down this track. Um, it's not just, um, we should point out, not just uh, an advantage for the Mashpee Wampanoags, but I think the, the Gaming Commission is viewing this sort of in, in the big picture sense, too, that if they do allow...
allow a commercial casino. Let's say one gets built in uh, New Bedford. Uh, and then the Mashpee Wampanoag do cross all their T's and dot all their I's. Well, then they can build one in this mm-hmm. region as well. And now you've got two uh, ca- casinos in a small geographic area competing against each other. And, oh, by the way, the Mashpee Wampanoags now won't be contributing any uh, money to the state. So, you know, yeah. it's it's quite quite a, a, yeah. a, a thing to have to, to struggle with. And, and you have to give the commission credit. They've dealt with some thorny issues so far and have been uh, working their way through them pretty well. And then the uh, governor's former casino expert is now representing a potential competitor to the Mashpee tribe. Yes, uh, E. Abim... Uh, uh, Thomas, who had been one of the uh, authors of the this uh, compact we just talked about between the Mashpee Wampanoag and the state, um, she is an attorney. She worked for the for uh, the governor for some time, and she uh, was approached last May. I guess was when she first indicated that she was approached approached by this law firm uh, uh, Goodwin and Proctor, and uh, then in September went to work for them and basically working for them on casino ventures. And, and they, uh, she now essentially uh, has uh, lobbied on behalf of, surprise, mm-hmm. a commercial casino. Uh, so while she worked out this deal or helped work out, out this deal with the Mashpee Wampanoag, now she's on the other side of the table working with uh, a commercial casino. So that's one plot. Uh, the other plot, of course, is this is the sort of thing that when casino uh, gaming came into place, um, a lot of folks worried about, mm-hmm. that somehow you would take um, folks who, who were in the know, uh, state officials and, and, and uh, bureaucrats and the like, and uh, they would have this uh, side, sort of insider's knowledge and then go into the private sector and use that knowledge and use their relationships to benefit um, the very big money uh, of, of casino interests. And and this is, uh, while uh, apparently it's it, it's completely legal mm-hmm. to do this, um, there's some people questioning the ethics of it, and uh, former Attorney General Scott Harshbarger is among them. Uh, others, uh, casino critics, have said, see, this is what we didn't want to happen, and, yeah. and here we are. It's happened. And we got uh, Barnesville Town Manager Tom Lynch Making it perfectly clear, no casino in Barnstable County. <laughs> right, and, and this was interesting because um, uh, T- Town Manager Lynch sent a letter to the Gaming Commission wanting to underscore the fact that uh, Barnstable did not want to have casino gaming in, in the town's borders. Um, you know, the funny thing is, I think people around here were like, Okay, we know that. I mean, it seems yeah. like everyone understands that. And the Mashpee Wampanoag have assured us that they aren't, aren't interested in building on the Cape. But what this letter really is targeting is off-Cape developers. Mm-hmm. And as the Mashpee Wampanoag lose this momentum and the possibility that someone else could come in, uh, I think uh, Tom Lynch is, is trying to say, D- let's be sure that right. the Steve Wins of the world, you know, the big Vegas casino money, they don't come and, and mm-hmm. I Barnstable and maybe yeah. even specifically Hyannis for a casino. He's and saying, so, don't even think so about don't, it. <laughs> don't even think about it. Clyde Barrow, who mm-hmm. is uh, a casino expert uh, out of the UMass uh, system, um, said that the Cape would be a terrible place. Yeah. And, and we and we know why. Right. I mean, the roads, the infrastructure oh, yeah, just couldn't sustain, you yeah. know, twelve to 20,000 uh, cars a day. Right. We think happen. we got traffic problems oh, now. I can't, I can't <laughs> even imagine it. However, um, that would not necessarily stop uh, a casino investor right. from taking a look at us. Steve Wynn looked at Foxborough. He was turned down. Now he's looking at Springfield. I mean, who knows right. who, who's out there and who would be interested exactly. in the Cape. Well, interesting. The dogs are back at Drummer Boy Park. I um, I really like how uh, Superior Court Judge Chris Muse uh, phrased this. He, he said, man's best friend is causing a, a constitutional crisis uh, <laughs> at the seaside community of, of Brewster. Um, yeah, uh, the dogs are, are back um, at, at Drummer Boy Park. This is a story 
boy, it feels like it's been going on yeah, all, we've all year. We've talked about it a lot. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, uh, you know, the backstory, of course, is that there were some complaints uh, raised to the the board of health about about dogs, both uh, sort of safety. You know, dogs sort of uh, going and knocking kids down, and, and I think one person complained that he had been bitten, um, and and uh, and then of course the the dog waste that mm-hmm. sometimes accompanies uh, your pets. Um, those raised some complaints with the board of health. They wanted to deal with it. Um, Drummer Boy Park, which uh, is a place popular for dogs and dog owners is right next to a playground, which, guess what? It's popular with parents and, and children. Sometimes they coexist quite well, sometimes not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Board of Health said, uh, okay, we, we're going we're gonna to ban dogs altogether. It was a pretty drastic step. Um, along comes a, a summer resident, a, a gentleman by the name of, let's see if I have his name here, uh, Jordan Spreechman, uh, who said that just doesn't fly, legally mm-hmm. doesn't fly. So he filed uh, action to have uh, this uh, this ruling overturned. And in fact, uh, Judge Muse said, absolutely right, this this is uh, unenforceable. Um, and his and the legal point of it was that the, the action that the Board of Health took relative to Drummer Boy Park um, if, if you're going to take an action like that, banning dogs, you have to take it in all public areas mm-hmm. because the same circumstances and the same so-called uh, health concern, if you will, um, exists any time you have dogs and people, uh, strange people, interacting. And so he, he felt it was uh, unfairly targeting a specific area and therefore overturned. Now we have to see what will happen. Right. And, uh, and it's up to Brewster to decide uh, what they'll do. Will the Board of Health, I mean, they've, they've had a number of complaints. I mean, they've had support too, but mm-hmm. they've certainly had a number of complaints. Will they continue to push this? Uh, maybe they will, maybe they won't. Uh, there are other town officials uh, who uh, were looking for a compromise. It was never struck. Well, now, is this the opportunity for them yeah. to work it out? Possibly. It'll be interesting to see because, like I said, I, I, just looking into my crystal ball, my prediction is <laughs> they, will, they will do some sort of a compromise. Because, uh, as you say, there are, enough, there are enough people that are upset with the dogs running free. But maybe there's a way you can section it off, like dogs in this area, you know, people in this area. There's, there's got to be some sort of a compromise that you can come to. You, you would think so. Uh, and, and increasingly, the Cape, I mean, the Cape has always been a very dog-friendly place. And I think that's what's interesting. Mm-hmm. I... I, I I picture, say, in the Metro West area or north of Boston having these discussions, and I just don't see it happening. Right. I mean, this this is a Cape Cod type of issue. And, uh, you know, even as they were talking about this, there were a lot of suggestions that seemed to make sense that just needed time to right. be to have the details worked out. Um, you know, it, I, I don't want to uh, criticize the Board of Health here. They were trying to take right. uh, an action and they were trying to be decisive. And, and so often town officials are not that way. Right. So so they did what they thought was right. Um, but since that time, it feels like there have been a lot of suggestions that have come forward that, as you say, mm-hmm. um, I think there's a compromise, a compromise there. I think yeah. they'll, they'll be able to yeah. come up with something to make everybody happy. Well, I guess you can't always please everybody, <laughs> but the majority of people are happy. Right. Only Labradors on Tuesday. <laughs> the uh, Falmouth Wind Panel, tasked with recommending options to mitigate the potential harm uh, to those folks living close by, did not meet their self-imposed deadline this week. Yeah, speaking of, of boards uh, or, or town uh, government that's been under fire, uh, this, the wind issue continues in Falmouth, uh, they had had a self-imposed deadline, as you said, to uh, come up with recommendations. Um, they just didn't make it. And, you know, I think most observers, while they would like some some decision here, they understand that the what they're talking about is, is such a big deal mm-hmm. that um, they really want them to take their time and deliberate and to uh, and, and to come up with, a, well, what most would consider a reasoned solution. 
I think it's only about 10 and a half pages of documents that they're reviewing. And the other night they spent three and a half mm-hmm. hours and, and just made a dent in it. Yeah. So they're going to come back and look at it in January. I mean, uh, of course, what we're talking about is what to do with these wind turbines. We, you know, a lot of residents have complained about health effects. So the town has to decide, do you, do you keep them? Do you run them? Do you run them for uh, all the time, part of the time? Do you move them? Do you move them? If you run them for all the time, do you buy the houses around uh, from the folks who are, are having these issues? If you do, what's the value of that? I mean, these are some yeah. big issues. So uh, they're, they're working their way through it. And uh, now they're targeting early January to try mm-hmm. to figure it out. Well, uh, you had a story this week about the seals and uh, their impact on visitors who come here to fish recreationally. Yeah, um, you know, the Outer Cape, the backside beach um, of the Outer Cape is, is a very popular place for surf casting. And, uh, you know, legendary big stripers could be caught right off the beach. And, uh, you know, folks from uh, throughout New England, I mean, certainly locals, but folks from the, throughout New England will come. Uh, the summer season had always been big, um, but but fishermen know that the fall is really when it kicks into high gear. Um we talked to some uh, tackle shop owners and some other uh, uh, surf casting experts, if you will, who said that business is gone. I mean, mm. it's dead. People don't come anymore, and they say it's it's because of the seals. Yeah. And and we've talked about the the booming uh, um, seal population out there for some time. I think it's gone from somewhere in the neighborhood of. Uh, I think it was like 5,600 in 1999 to like almost 16,000 yeah, today. Yeah, and we don't even have a real uh, accurate number exactly. because you can't count them. Right. Yeah, they don't They don't submit to census yeah. like they should. <laughs> <laughs> but but obviously it's just, it's a boom town. And, you know, if you're fishing, I mean, fishermen tell stories of literally, you know, if you get lucky enough to get a fish on, on a hook now, you better reel it in quick because a seal, seal. will come by and chomp and yeah. now it's gone. Yeah, so. we've heard stories about, yeah, like this great fish and then the seal comes and grabs it and you can see where they'd be frustrated watching that happen. Right, yeah. and it's it's funny because, you know, some some of the locals say the only good news is instead of having to compete with folks for, you know, their favorite fishing uh, holes, now they've got like all of Nosset to themselves mm-hmm. or all of, you know, large stretches of the backside to themselves. And uh, that's the good news. The bad news is the reason they have it to themselves is there aren't a lot of fish, so yeah. you, you really have to work it for anything. And, of course... Um, we have a we had a study with water quality, and they're saying don't blame the seals. So this, there's a great number of seals, but they they may be making an impact on the fish, but not the water quality. Exactly, surprising. I mean, and uh, yeah, and this this was done by Huey, uh, the study, and it was interesting because you know y- you could you made some correlations, right? I mean, there's a huge number of seals pop, seal populations. The water quality in the area where they are uh, has been declining. Uh, well, maybe the seals have something to do with it. Well, according uh, to this Huey study, that's not the case, that uh, there there are a number of uh, causes uh, affecting the, the nitrogen uh, levels in, in the in, in the water all around the Cape. Um, seal population, not chief among them. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to blame the seals about some things, fine, but yeah. maybe not this. Blame probably uh, the, the, you know, the, the issue that is, is the eye-poppingly expensive and complicated wastewater mm-hmm. issue. That's yeah. probably the, the main cause. Right. And then, of course, you know, with the, with, as the seals have grown in numbers, we've also seen the sharks, uh, the great white sharks that have come into, into, into the waters. But it's interesting because you'd think that would put a dent in the seal population, but not really because I, I think they, you know, they have a seal, a seal snack and they don't have to eat again for like another month, right? Exactly. So you got 10, let's say you have 10 great white sharks. That's not really a lot of seals, is it? 
Right. Uh, you know, I'm no biologist, but, you know, just mathematically speaking, it seems that the seals are spreading at a, at a rate that far exceeds yeah. anything that the sharks could put a dent into. And, uh, and, and, it's, and it's continuing. And yeah. it's continuing largely unabated. And so I think you'll probably see uh, in 2013, I suspect, is going to be a year where there's a lot of talk about sharks, mm-hmm. number one, and what to do about the shark situation. And then number two, seals, a lot yeah. of talk about seals and what exactly to do because um, – you know, it's it's something on one. I mean, remember the outrage a couple of, uh, what was it, a year and a half ago, maybe when a, a, shield, a, a seal was found uh, shot in the head, and they mm-hmm. suspected maybe it was a fisherman who did it. And there was this big movement to say we we got to protect these animals. We right. can't we can't have this to happen. And, and Scott Brown came out and some made some pretty aggressive statements. I think he even filed uh, some legislation related to it. So on one hand, there's there's protection issues, and mm-hmm. and those will continue. On the other hand, there's management issues, right. and and how do you balance the two? Well, that's that's, that's going to be the conversation to, uh, to talk come, about yeah. next year. <laughs> right. Well, I I know you know the date today. It's yes, the, it's the end of the the Mayan calendar, and we're still here. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> and we've got a a a, a Barnstable teacher who is using science to dispel doomsday fears. It's interesting because there are a, a lot of young people who who were really, I mean, you know, distraught over this. Right. It, it you know. Um, uh, although, as as uh, me and my younger daughter discussed, we're still going to do our Christmas shopping because you know there's <laughs> too much to case. get. Just in case, just in case. But there were, in fact, um, a lot of kids. I mean, it's one of those frenzy things, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, y- you get these. Uh, the social networks now uh, now can work people into a frenzy and, and, you know, this whole, well, it's not, well, the Mayan calendar says that it's the end of the world. Well, no, it doesn't say it's the no. end of the world. It's, it's a rollover calendar. So, in fact, it's just starting a fresh year. Yes, but did you hear about the solar flares and they've moved, you know, the, the axis of the earth and that's going to come, you know, the kids get all worked up. And, and it's why someone like Mike Gyra, who is a science teacher at Barnesville High School, is so valuable because mm-hmm. he took this frenzy, if you will, and turned it into a Teachable moment, and and uh, was teaching the kids uh, about the Mayan calendar and about the science that that was being discussed, and and really, um, he's one of the more popular teachers at Barnstable, and for an obvious reason, um, he can do stuff like this, and uh, and he's of course not alone. He's just happened to be someone was was featured in our story the other day, um, but you know, teachers across the country mm-hmm. are are saying, okay, we get it, you're concerned. Don't hide under your desk. That's right. not going to do you any good. And oh, by the way, here's the science. Let's talk about. Well, and this is a good a, a good point to look to as far as believing everything you read on the internet. As you're saying, there's all the social media that's happening. You know, and and these stories. I was on uh, Talk of the Nation a couple of weeks ago. I think they had somebody from NASA on who's been fielding questions about this. And some of the questions you thought, wow, you know. It, it, you know, a little bit of research goes a long right. way here. Uh, but, you know, questions about uh, is, is it an asteroid coming our way? And these, I mean, things we, we would know. You would think so. But people are, people, as you said, they believe what they read. And, yeah. and frankly, and unfortunately, there's so many things out there that seem believable. Right. And, and it goes back to the old adage, consider the source. Right. And, and exactly. look to the source and see, see, you know, even if it seems real, you know, see who's saying it and why. If, if, it's, if it's your friend twice removed on Facebook, mm, maybe, maybe you, you want to find a more reputable source. Right. And then, as, as I say, doing a little research and you, 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 you know, go to the experts and you'll, you'll usually find the right it answer. Seems it's pretty yeah. simple. Yeah. So we're still here, Whew. starting a new calendar. All right. Let's do it. <laughs> Paul Pronovo, editor at the Cape Cod Times. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Mindy. I'm Mindy Todd. Thank you for listening. The Point airs weekdays at 9.30 a.m. and 7.30 p.m. We're also on Facebook at The Point WCAI. The Point is produced by Amy Vince. The executive producer is Mindy Todd. 
production assistance from Dan Tridel. Theme music by Benjamin Verdery and William Coulter. The Point is a production of the Cape and Islands NPR stations, a service of WGBH. WGBH.